0: Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David.
1: And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Halloween. So I'm going to start us off with a brief synopsis of the chapter. So in the aftermath of the last chapter, Hermione is not speaking to Ron and Harry. Harry then gets a surprise package, which turns out to be a top-of-the-line Nimbus 2000 from Professor McGonagall. is really jealous about this. Mm-hmm. Harry gets a lesson in Quidditch rules from Oliver Wood. The students then learn Wingardium Leviosa in Charm's class, and Ron is me- then mean to Hermione in class, mm-hmm. who runs off crying. At the Halloween feast, Harry and Ron hear that Hermione is crying in the girls' bathroom. Suddenly, Quirrell runs into the Great Hall to tell everyone there's a troll in the dungeon, Harry and Ron sneak out of the crowd to go warn Hermione and end up saving her from the troll. Hermione then lies to McGonagall about what happened to cover for Harry and Ron, and the three of them officially become friends at the end of this chapter.
0: So why don't we start off our discussion by talking about um, the first part of the chapter, sort of Harry's um, gift of the broomstick and uh, going over the rules of Quidditch with Oliver Wood. So... Well, we're going to talk much more about Quidditch next chapter. This is the first introduction that the reader has to the rules of the game and Harry's role in it and all that sort of thing. But aside from that... Why don't we talk about um, McGonagall giving Harry the broomstick? That involved a lot of special treatment.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of interesting things to look at with this gift. One is McGonagall's generosity, which is, on the face of it, you know, great and very nice, and we're all happy that Harry gets to be the seeker on the team. Um, there's also um, Malfoy and Ron's jealousy, which come out in different ways because of their relationship and how much they like Harry, but they all are right. both <laughs> jealous because this is a very special broom. And I just think this also shows Harry's privilege and special treatment here yet again because, you know, first years aren't supposed to have broomsticks and not supposed to be on the team, Mm -hmm. but um, Harry seems to have gotten by because he's supposed to be so amazing and talented that McGonagall was like, I just have to have you and she wants to win.
0: Right. And and all the other teachers are suddenly fine with that, even though there's a rule in place that says they're not allowed. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, even Professor Flitwick, who's head of Ravenclaw, is like, oh, yeah, Professor McGonagall told me all about the special circumstances.
1: Yeah, in front of the other students. So it's kind of one of those things where everyone knows who's the teacher's pet and who gets special treatment. And it it is unfair. And I don't feel bad for Malfoy because Malfoy, you know, it sucks. He's such
0: a jerk. But, like, I I kind of would react the same way that he does where I'm like, that's not fair. Yeah. All he did was, like, you know, save another student's remember all while breaking the rules and suddenly he's on the team and he gets his own broom and the teachers are paying for it and all this stuff. Like that's so unfair.
1: I know. And it's, it's something that I think we'll talk about a lot in the series, which is sort of like the balance between Harry's um, terrible childhood and difficult, you know, circumstances and treatment on the one hand, but also how he sort of gets all these things to make up for it. Mm -hmm. And also because of his, um, you know, talent and things, which are, which are significant, but maybe not as significant as people think.
0: Right. I mean and 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 I think Harry notes that too, that he maybe doesn't deserve all of this attention and fame and special treatment. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, he in, is humble. In some he doesn't way,
1: want the attention, but
0: Yeah, he would prefer to have been a normal child and to grow up without all of this burden and the treatment that comes along with it. But yeah, it's interesting. I think in a lot of ways the the teacher's treatment of him is probably colored by them knowing how mistreated he was as a child or the tragedy that he was mired in as an infant even, you know, I think especially people like Professor Flitwick, you know, who who may have known his parents mm-hmm. would say, like, yeah, I mean, Harry's a great kid and I want to help him, you know, become a, a great person and I want to give him extra help because I knew his parents and they were great people and they died too young and, you know, that he didn't deserve that as a baby. So I think, you know, part of the unfairness probably has to do with that and it's sort of trying to balance out how terrible Harry's life has been up to this point, but it it also doesn't excuse like bending the rules this much. It seems frivolous.
1: Yeah, true. But nonetheless, it's exciting that Harry's on the team. Absolutely. and Harry gets to have his first lesson with the current captain, Oliver Wood, um, who's explaining the, world, the rules of the game to him. And in this scene, there's a lot of foreshadowing kind of just by the nature of how many significant and dramatic Quidditch games there are in the series. So mm-hmm. we're not going to go over really the scene or all the rules because um, <laughs> that's not necessary. But, um, you know, just a lot of things about... Um, All of Harry's times being a seeker and getting hit by bludgers and um, lots of things that happen.
0: Yeah, you can tell that Harry's nervous about Quidditch based on, like, the way he asks questions and and responds to things. Especially about the bludgers. He was like, have they killed anyone before? And Wood's like, never at Hogwarts. Yeah. (laughs) And Harry's like, well, that's reassuring. Yeah. I could be the first one. Yeah, but he, he clearly, I mean, we see this come out fully in the chapter he clearly is at home on his broom Mm -hmm. he gets so much joy out of his ability to fly it's really the first thing that he's really good at without needing to be taught how to do it um and now not only is he on the house team but he has been given a world-class racing broom for free i mean he didn't have Mm -hmm. to do anything to get it um and so this nimbus uh will become one of his most treasured possessions as well as sort of like a symbol of escapism you know he goes out flying when he needs to clear his head Mm -hmm. centers himself there you know it's one of his favorite things in the world and when it's destroyed um during prisoner of azkaban harry's devastated yeah but that leads me into another question i had about this which is does harry rely too much on the nimbus 2000 for his flying ability i mean we know that he's a naturally good flyer he flew really well on a school broom but he seems to place a lot of importance on the nimbus specifically and later on the firebolt um, when the nimbus is destroyed he says I may never fly that well again, I might not ever be a great seeker because I don't have my broom. And this comes up with other magical artifacts too. With his wand later on in the series, you know he thinks of that as the only thing that can help him defeat Voldemort because of the connection. You know The invisibility cloak is obviously a very powerful object, but he places a lot of importance on that. Do we think that maybe he undervalues his own abilities and overvalues the power of these magical artifacts?
1: Well, there's a couple of things about that. I think on the one hand, that may be true, and I think that's something that people do a lot, especially people who are talented or feel like they're they're doing well. you know people have like lucky objects and also oh, people sure. have you know if like runners have shoes that they have to wear or um and I'm trying to think of other Pre-game examples game
0: rituals superstitions rituals, kind of but
1: even just things like this that you use to um to like show your talent um favorite
0: guitar maybe or something like that
1: Yeah and people like do have attachments to them emotionally but also maybe feel like oh it's this thing that's so good and without it I would be less good which you know is maybe undervaluing undervaluing their own talents um mm-hmm. however I think it's interesting because in the magical world these things actually do have most of the power, like the wand, especially like everyone needs a wand to do magic. Um, You know, you can, you know, I think there's situations where magic can be done without a wand, but mostly um, he does need his wand and he would be kind of screwed without his wand as well as um, his cloak. Um, You know, he couldn't be invisible without his cloak. He couldn't really know things he knows without his cloak. And I mean, the broom may be the thing that he undervalues himself with but at the same time he can't fly without a broom. Only Voldemort can do that, so <laughs> right. it, he does kind of need these things.
0: Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I just think like maybe he places too much importance on the specific one, like yeah, you know, that's like his true. his wand. Obviously, like they have a connection, and there's a connection to Voldemort's wand and all of that. But like in his mind, I think for for several books, from Goblet of Fire through the first half of Deathly Hallows, he's he's thinking this wand is how I'm going to beat Voldemort. This is the mm-hmm. weapon that I have to kill him. And if I don't have this wand, I don't have the connection of the twin cores. I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, and that's not true. He obviously does defeat him later on without the wand.
1: Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things to explore with this topic about the magical objects. Yeah, for sure. As we go forward, sort of see how that evolves and see how we think Carrie's using them.
0: So now let's talk about Hermione. She's big in this chapter and her relationship with Harry and Ron changes drastically over the course of the chapter. So when we start off, um, Hermione obviously was not speaking to the pair of them because she was still mad about what happened last episode. But when Harry receives the broomstick, she gets annoyed and she does actually make a comment to them about that so it's like she's still mad at them for getting rewarded for breaking the rules remember because mm-hmm. harry had broken the rules by saving neville's remember all and then gets rewarded by being given a spot on the quidditch team and now given a broomstick too mm-hmm. and so which she... is interesting
1: because we were just talking about that how it is kind of annoying that harry gets yeah, rewarded for breaking kind of the annoying. rules yeah
0: so we're we kind of understand hermione obviously like the reader is going from harry's perspective so she seems sort of out of line there But um, you do kind of get where she's coming from where it's like you shouldn't reward bad behavior like that Mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, But to her, and this is important, it doesn't matter that what Harry did was right because he was sticking up for someone else. Mm -hmm. All that matters is that he was breaking rules and that he got rewarded. Mm -hmm. So she's seeing the world in black and white right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to change over the course of the chapter.
1: Yeah, so the next scene with Hermione is that... Hermione is doing really well in class she's getting the Wingardium Leviosa spell which I always think of it from the movies as being a very iconic scene and I think it goes by pretty quickly in the books but they really I think that's one thing the movies did really well is take that scene and Uh make it great so Anyway, during that scene, you know, she's doing well, Ron's not, he's pissed, and he says at the end, um, she must know she doesn't have any friends, and that's when they're leaving the classroom. So, Hermione hears him and goes off and is starting to cry. Yeah, she
0: storms out crying.
1: Which is really hurtful, I think, because Hermione is muggle-born, and she likely feels like an outsider, but has kind of learned everything she can to overcompensate for this fact. She wants to um, show that she can be really smart and be the best even though she is um, muggle born
0: yeah in a way it's it 's something like like i think if you remember when we were in college like women who are in fields like computer science or engineering you know because it 's such a male dominated field often those those women would compensate by like being super into the thing like computer science say and then just like learning everything they could about it and like being way ahead of everybody else because they felt like they needed to to prove that they belong there. I mean, I think you know, that's what- they I, deserve to be there. I yeah. feel like she has the same kind of thing where she's like, I need to prove that I deserve to be here even though I don't have the heritage
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that a lot of these other wizards have.
1: Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of, I guess, for lack of a better word, for a lot of oppressed groups in the world who are trying to sort of have to work twice as hard to get, have as much kind of thing. And I think that Hermione does do this being Muggle-born. Um, but she often goes about things the wrong way and kind of comes off as snobby know-it-all. Um, right.
0: She rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and as we as we've said, you know, she kind of thinks of the world in terms of these black and white metrics right now.
1: Right. So, um, you know, Ron is, you know, maybe slightly justified in being annoyed, but his Ron's words just must be so hurtful because she clearly does want friends and doesn't really know how to make them, and yeah. she must just feel like. You know, she can't really catch a break because she does well in school, but no one likes her. And I just do feel for her in this moment in the chapter a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's trying to reconcile this drive to succeed and, and, and feel like she fits in with the sociality. And and um, she's having a really hard time sort of joining the two and, and being social while still, you know, being true to herself as, as a scholar and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it, it was really hurtful for him to say. But it's also a realization moment for her because she had been sort of lying to herself for the past, I guess, couple of months because this takes place on Halloween about how she was feeling and how she was doing socially. And, now, and she may like,
1: have thought she didn't need friends. Like, she may have yeah, told herself she didn't need friends.
0: She may have. And and then this, you know, these words hit her ear and she realizes that they hurt mm-hmm. and that it's really hurtful and that she really does want friends. and And so now I think that was a, like... ...character shift for her. hmm So then, while Hermione is off crying in the bathroom... ...Harry and Ron go to the Halloween feast... ...and Quirrell bursts into the hall... ...and announces that a troll is in the dungeon... ...and then faints. Um, and mass panic ensues. And in the chaos... Um, ...Dumbledore tells the prefects to lead all of the first years... ...and the rest of the students to their dormitories. Um, and Harry and Ron immediately think of Hermione... Mm-hmm. ...because she's in the bathroom... They feel like it's their fault and their responsibility, and they decide to single-handedly go and warn her about the troll, not thinking of telling a teacher or a prefect that she's there, which would have been the smart thing to do. I think due in part because they feel responsible for her being there because, you know, Ron was making fun of her and that's why she was in the bathroom crying. Um, yes,
1: but it's so stupid because the teachers obviously like no one else knows that besides the two of them. So right. they would lose nothing by going to a teacher. Like the teachers wouldn't <laughs> be like, "Oh, you you probably made her cry." You know, they don't yeah. know that. So
0: I the think the teachers aren't going to be like. Why is she in the bathroom crying? They're going to be like, "Oh, she's in the bathroom <laughs> crying. We got to go like tell her and get her into yeah. the dormitory." So this
1: was um the first in a series of very stupid but mm-hmm. I guess brave mistakes that Harry and Ron make in this chapter.
0: Well, chivalrous for sure. I think they're they're thinking of, you know, protecting a person that I don't know if they harmed maybe, but uh someone who they feel is their responsibility at this point. So, yeah, so the the problem of the troll is compounded immensely by, A, them not telling a teacher or the prefects about what's happening, and, B, when they go and find that the troll is actually near the girl's bathroom, they end up locking the thing in with her, Yeah. Uh, which basically forces a direct confrontation between them and the which, troll. Which, to
1: be clear, they did not know that this... Way- this room that he was going into was the girl's bathroom, but they said... They
0: probably would have realized it if they'd thought for a second. It's,
1: yes, they're very dumb, but they just said, oh, he's going into her room, we'll lock him in so he can't get out, and they're like, oh shit, this is the girl's bathroom.
0: I think they even say, he's going into the girl's bathroom, let's lock him in. Oh. I'm, well, not, I'm not sure, I think that might be from the films, but I, I feel like I read that, this go through. Yeah, well, they're and, pretty dumb. And, and then they don't even realize that it's the girl's bathroom until like mm-hmm. a couple seconds later. But yeah, I mean, obviously, their chivalry, good intentions, whatever, doesn't really matter because they used really bad judgment here.
1: So then um, lots of fighting back and forth ensue. I'm just going to read a quote here from page 176 of in the midst of the fighting. Harry then did something that was both very brave and very stupid. He took a great running jump and managed to fasten his arms around the troll's neck from behind. The troll couldn't feel Harry hanging there, but even a troll will notice if you stick a long bit of wood up its nose. And Harry's wand had still been in his hand when he jumped; it had gone straight up one of the troll's nostrils. <laughs> so this is a funny image, and it's also just um, emphasizing. Uh, it says right here, Harry was both very brave and very stupid, and that is what he is it pretty doing. Pretty much
0: sums up Harry in a nutshell. In general, he kind brave, of stupid, does this. and lucky.
1: Um, So he gets away with it, um, but he (laughs) could have just killed them all in that moment.
0: Yeah, well, gotten himself killed at the very least. Yes. And Ron here is the one that really comes through with the heroism. Um, Ron, who has very little self-confidence in his abilities, in the heat of the moment when the stress is on, you know, he comes through in the clutch and he's able to pull off a perfect cast of the first spell that came into his head, which happened to be Wingardium Leviosa. So it really shows that his aptitude... Um, for, like, performing when the pressure is on is really great. Um,
1: Yeah, and it's ironic, obviously, because he couldn't do the spell, and Hermione could, and here he is using it to help her, so... Right,
0: Hermione is paralyzed by fear, and he is the one who can act, Um, and he does it perfectly.
1: So um, in this moment, obviously, Hermione is more passive than she is later in the series, because she is very terrified and kind of trapped by the troll
0: well she's really she's just paralyzed by fear
1: yes yeah she's having the uh freeze response in the fight flight or freeze exactly but here as after the troll has been um knocked out knocked out um and mcgonagall and snape and everyone come rushing in her ability to lie and talk her way out of the situation comes into play for the first time here and is very characteristic of things to come for her character Um, she's not the best liar in terms of acting. No, she's
0: not really that great a liar. I think really that she gets away with it in this instance and in a lot of other instances um, because of her reputation as Mm -hmm. being a very strict rule abider. Mm -hmm. But in other circumstances where people don't care about her reputation or don't know about it, like with Umbridge or Bellatrix Lestrange, she doesn't usually get away with lying. People can usually see right through her.
1: That's true. Um, So lying is not always best, but she is very good at talking her way out of things because she is very clever so i think Mm -hmm. that she's very clever that's a good representation of hermione's role in a lot of tough spots that they get into later on
0: for sure and i think it's it's important to note that she intentionally shifts the blame off of harry and ron and onto herself Mm -hmm. and this was something that she was clever about i mean she clearly like assessed the situation and she was like okay mcgonagall is asking harry and ron to explain what happened If I accept all the blame, she will punish me not very harshly because I'm clearly the victim here Mm. and hopefully will not punish them at all. And Mm -hmm. I feel like they don't deserve to be punished, even though they were breaking the rules, and this is very important because they were saving me Mm -hmm. because they were doing what was right. And so this is a big character shift for Hermione. Of course we see here, Magana go once again, rewards Harry and Ron for their rule breaking, but it doesn't bother Hermione anymore. In fact, that's the outcome that she wanted. It's it's a really big character shift because it both reinforces to Harry and Ron that Hermione has changed um, and that she's growing as a person and that she is willing to allow some rule breaking um, when it's necessary, when, when it's the right thing to do. And they're so taken aback by her generosity and in, in accepting all the blame that they immediately forget about all their past squabbles.
1: So Harry and Ron as well show Hermione that they care and they're willing to you know, come save her and they want to help her out of this situation. Mm -hmm. So she also, you know, forgives him, forgives both of them their kind of past transgressions and they all really become friends. They both just needed to move this kind of one inch together Mm -hmm. in order to become close.
0: Right. Hermione needed to stop seeing rule breaking as being black and white. Harry and Ron needed to see that. You know, Hermione's snobby know-it-all attitude was sort of outside of a much stronger brand of caring and thoughtfulness, which she demonstrates here.
1: And they also just needed to be nice themselves. In oh, general. sure. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. But it's it's sort of like, I think this chapter mostly focuses on Hermione's character mm-hmm. changing, where they see from their perspective, um, her change from being a black and white bossy know-it-all to a very caring and thoughtful individual who does allow for some rule-breaking as long as it's the right thing to do.
1: Mm -hmm. And the last and best line of the chapter is on page 179, when it says, From that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them.
0: So going back to the troll, there's actually a lot of interesting stuff to talk about with how the troll actually gets into Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. For one thing, we don't know um, when we're reading this chapter, who let it in or how? And we never get an answer to how, but we will eventually get an answer to who. Harry and Ron um, spot Snape sneaking off earlier on in this chapter and they, when all the other teachers are supposed to be going to the dungeons. And they immediately suspect him of having let in the troll to create a diversion so that he could go to the third floor corridor and try to get past the dog. Um, then later on in the chapter, he shows up again with an injured leg and their suspicions seem confirmed because they assume that his leg was injured by the dog when mm-hmm. he was trying to get past it. Um, but this creates a bunch of questions. First of all, um, how would someone sneak a troll into Hogwarts? It's a pretty obvious and huge creature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, obviously this is the first time that we're seeing Hogwarts's defenses be breached, mm-hmm. but this will happen many, many more times in the series. So what do you think? How would a troll get in?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I did not think about that.
0: Do you think that Coral maybe, like, put a spell on the troll and, like, charmed it and then let it inside and then took the charm off and let it just rampage around?
1: Well, just to me, the size is kind of where I get stuck because how could that go unnoticed? I mean, unless there's, you know, there's so many secret passageways and things in Hogwarts. So maybe there was some sort of back way that if he, like, hypnotized (laughs) the troll to, like, walk quietly inside, that could have happened.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a good that's a good answer, and we will eventually learn that it was in fact Quirrell who let the troll right. in, and he says that he has a gift with trolls, and we can assume that this was fairly common knowledge that he had a gift with trolls because the um, defense that he used against the philosopher like to to protect the philosopher's stone was that he just had had a troll there, so it we could presume that most of the staff or at least the core staff, Dumbledore, Snape, McGonagall, etc., would know that he had a gift with trolls. So his behavior in this chapter, where he runs into the Great Hall screaming about a troll being in the dungeons and then promptly faints on the floor in front of everyone, should raise some red flags, mm-hmm. especially for Dumbledore. And Snape, we can tell, is immediately suspicious of Quirrell, which is why he goes off to the third floor instead of to the dungeons. When Harry and Ron think that he is just trying to create a diversion, he's in fact going to protect the stone because he knows Quirrell was trying to create a diversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets his leg injured. Could be the dog, could have been Quirrell. I would say it's more likely to be Quirrell. Mm -hmm. There's a scene that takes place in Deathly Hallows um, when we're in Snape's memories toward the end of the book. Most of the scene is Snape raving about how Harry is just like his father, and he hates him, and he's so arrogant, and everybody loves him for no reason. But at the end of the section, um, Dumbledore uh, mentions to Snape, uh, keep an eye on Quirrell for me. Um, And I think it's likely that this scene happened after this chapter, because dumbledore would have seen like coral's odd behavior coupled with the fact that the troll was nowhere near where he said it would be mm-hmm. and snape's like heading him off clearly there's like a pattern of behavior here where coral's not right something's not right about coral
1: or it could have been before this or it scene. could have been before this. so that sure. could be part of the reason why snape was cued to sort of go off and right things that's out.
0: actually an interesting point um because that would make sense, too. If Snape was on the lookout for anything suspicious about Quirrell and Dumbledore had sort of designated him to be the point person mm-hmm. for interfering with Quirrell's plans, that would make a lot of sense for him to like be the guy that's heading him off there instead of McGonagall or someone else.
1: I don't know if this is the time to be going into this, but I guess now I'm just trying to picture this um, interaction between Snape and potentially Quirrell in this chapter, sort of in the third floor corridor. What kind of would be the result of that, and what would Snape think or know, and do you know what I mean? Like, how would that...
0: Yeah. Well, hmm. I think it's... I don't think they would have had a face-to-face encounter.
1: So probably Quirrell didn't enter his leg, is what I'm thinking. Maybe,
0: yeah. That actually would probably make more sense if it was the dog. Because otherwise
1: he would know too much. He would suspect...
0: Yeah, because then later on in the book, like in the Forbidden Forest, Harry sees them like arguing... And Snape's like, I know what you're up to. And Quirrell's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, clearly, if they had had a face to face conversation already, this would be a moot point. Yeah. So I think maybe either Quirrell was like hooded or disguised or like disillusionment mm-hmm. charmed or something, like invisible. So maybe Snape just goes to the Forbidden Corridor, uh, goes into the room where the dog is, and like lies in wait for Quirrell there. And then like. Either like gets injured and has to leave, or like Quirrell doesn't show up, or like is just there like observing and sees Snape and then runs away or something like that.
1: Yeah, we don't really know, but it's interesting. It's interesting to theorize about to think about this because I feel like there's this whole other side scene that I never really thought about before right. with what Snape is actually doing here. Yeah,
0: I hadn't really thought about it either. That's really interesting.
1: Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Halloween. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. Feel free to email us at harrypodcast7 at gmail.com with any questions or comments you have. And stay tuned for next time when we fly through chapter 11, Quidditch. I'm Madeline.
0: And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.